Amen. Well, thank you, Praise and Worship Band, for leading us into the presence of God this morning. It's always good. Good morning, everybody. My name is David Pucci, and um, I'm on the Board of Advisors here at the River Church, and along with my wife, Shoshana, and my kids, Caleb, Naomi, and Noah, we've been a part of this movement here in the Boston area for about 16 years. And so it is a, um, it's a pleasure to be here this morning. Thank you guys so much for being here and for coming out on this 4th of July weekend. I know that um, you guys probably had options for where you could have gone and what you could have been doing, and um, I just appreciate um, you guys being here. And as we think about the 4th of July and as we think about celebrating our nation's birth, the freedoms that we have, it's certainly a good uh, moment to stop and to reflect on what a wonderful country we live in, not perfect in any sense, but that we definitely have um, freedoms um, that make living here special. But I'd like to submit to you this morning that there are millions of people in America, around the world, um, that don't experience and live in that sense of freedom. And I'm not referring to freedom in a sense of a society or laws or religious liberties or freedom of speech or press, but I'm referring to freedom from sickness, freedom from being tormented, freedom from bondage, that we live in a world and are surrounded by people um, that do not live and experience that freedom. But the good news is that this morning, I believe, Jesus has a plan, and his plan is, tag, you're it, go and represent me to a hurting and dying world. And so we're going to get going this morning, we're going to start with my main text, which is from the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, and we're going to read about the authority that Jesus possessed, the authority that he gave to his disciples, and what he told them to do. And so Luke 9, verse 1, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. So what is this text showing us and telling us? Why is it important and what is it that we can take away from this? And applied to our lives. So the first thing that I want you guys to look at is that Jesus called the 12 to himself. He gave and said, now go. At this point, the disciples had been with Jesus for a while. Luke chapter 3 is where Jesus gets baptized. He then goes out into the desert. He's tempted by the devil. And by Luke 4, we see that Jesus is already casting out demons and cleansing people of impure spirits. So between Luke 4 and leading up all the way to the end of Luke chapter 8, the disciples have been walking with Jesus and experiencing his power. If we look at the chapter just preceding this, Luke chapter 8, we see one of the most incredible, in my opinion, one of the most incredible chapters in the Bible, of Jesus representing who he is. So we see Luke chapter 8 starts with Jesus calming the storm. The disciples are in the boat, Jesus is in the boat sleeping, and they go and wake Jesus up and say, Master, Master, do you care that we drown? 
and he stands up and he speaks peace to the wind and the waves. And they are amazed and they say, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? That storm was on the way to Capernaum where they encounter a man possessed by demons. And the locals in the town have tried to chain this guy up. He breaks the chains. He is a wild man filled with demons that nobody can subdue. But Jesus, and Jesus shows up on the scene, speaks peace to the situation, speaks straight to the demon, says, who are you? What's your name? They say, our, our name is Legion, for we are many. And he casts out the demons. And it says later on that that man left clothed in his right mind. Now, this guy got so radically transformed, he's now saying to Jesus, hey, take me with you. I want to go where you just changed my life. And Jesus says, no, it's better that you stay here. Go and tell people what you've experienced. From there, Jesus goes to a town and he's approached by a man named Jairus, whose daughter, his only child, is dying. And he says, will you come? Will you come to my house? Will you come and lay hands on her? Will you speak life into her? And he shows up there. And the family that's at the home says, you know what, don't even bother. It's not even worth it. She's already dead. But there's no situation that is too far gone for Jesus. And he says, no, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And she sits up and she's alive. On his way to Jairus' house, he's getting pressed in by all the crowds. People are excited to see him. And a woman crawling on her knees with enough faith to simply reach her hand out and grab a hold of Jesus' cloak, touches him. He instantly feels power leave him. And he turns around and says, hey, who, who touched me? And his disciples are like, Jesus, like there's people pressing all around you. You're probably getting touched by hundreds of people. He says, no, I felt power leave me. Who touched me? And he looks down and says, woman, your faith has made you well. Four incredible stories, chapter 8, leading up to 9, chapter 9, verse 1, he calls his disciples to him, and he says to them, tag, you're it. I've been modeling this life for you. I've been demonstrating for you what it means to walk out in power and authority, and now it is your turn. What I have, I give to you. I give you power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. What's interesting here is that Jesus didn't tell the disciples, hey, you've been watching me do this, so I can kind of be, you know, a small example or model for me, but you've got to go figure your own thing out. You've got to go figure out how to get your own power. You've got to go figure out how to get your own authority. No. He said, my example is sufficient, and I give you all that I have. Jesus models for us what a man in right relation to God, fully yielded to the Father, can do. Now go and do what I've shown you. Now the disciples didn't have any vast training. We know from the text that they were simple men, most of them, a lot of them fishermen. These weren't Pharisees. These weren't guys who had studied um, the word for years and years and years. They had nothing but the example of Jesus in their life. 
there's always going to be generals in God's army. Guys of high rank, guys, men and women of high rank, that we look at them and we just see, man, they just, they have figured this out. It's very easy to do. Must just be that's what they're called to. There's always going to be people like that. But if you guys take anything out of this look series that we're in, it's that this move of God that we're hoping for, that we're dreaming for, is not about the generals. It's not about the few people that are on staff that you can look at and just say, okay, well, you know, that's Sean Richmond. He's a pastor, so of course he has to go and do that. But it's about every single one of us being so committed to saying, if I can see it in the life of Jesus, then I am called to it as well. It's about refusing to buy in to passive Christianity. Passive Christianity, which says it's enough for me to just come Sunday morning and sit down, but not do anything with what I've been given. So if I can stress that just even a different way, it's that, yes, you are called. And you are called. And if you're thinking right now that you're not called, you're called. So we are all called to take the power and authority that we have by being sons and daughters and to go and represent Jesus to this dying and hurting world. Mark chapter 16 tells us what will accompany, what will come after those who believe. And so my question to you this morning is, are you a believer in Jesus? It's not a trick question. It's a real easy one to answer. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ and declared that he's the son of God and he's the king of your heart and he's in charge of your life? Are you a believer in Jesus? If you are a believer in Jesus, then this is what it says in Mark chapter 16. It says, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons and they will speak in new tongues. Verse 18, it goes on to say, and I'm not sure if we, yep, we do have it. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. So before I lose you and you start reading about the snakes and the poison and just start freaking out about that, this is what I feel like that's saying to us. As you go, as you receive the mission and commission of the Father, and you go out into the world, to reach this hurting and dying people, you may encounter deadly situations, troubling situations. You know, I just think about what John was sharing about in being over in Germany. You know, there's, there is a lot of threat in Europe right now. But what this verse says, I don't believe it's necessarily commanding us that we need to start handling snakes in church. What this says is that as you go, I am going to protect you and my power is going to go with you you are going to cast out demons and you are going to see the sick healed if you are a believer. These signs will accompany you. You are called as a believer to go beyond these four walls. Sunday morning, faith group, Wednesday night, that is really just a training ground. This is where it's safe for us to say, well, if I see it in the life of Jesus, then I should be able to 
replicate it. And so Sunday morning and faith, that's a training ground. That's an opportunity. It's a safe place for us among friends, among other believers to say, hey, I'm going to step out. I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to reject that passivity and give it a shot. It's out on the sea of life where Jesus wants to flow through you to set people free from everything that torments them and hinders them. Jesus says to you this morning, tag, you're it. In order for us to accurately represent Jesus here on earth, we have to understand that we need his power and authority. Our text makes that abundantly clear, that before they could go out and do, they had to receive. So this word authority in the Greek is called exousia. And in this context, exousia can be translated as jurisdiction or dominion over certain realms, rights, privilege, or ability. And so what Jesus said was, over all things demonic, over all things that have to do with sickness, I am giving you jurisdiction over that. I'm giving you dominion over that. So think with me real quick about a police officer. Police officers typically have a jurisdiction. A um, judge would preside over a jurisdiction. And so if you have a jurisdiction, that is a region, that is an area in which you have been given authority, you have been given power to enforce the laws in that area. That's what a police officer will do in his jurisdiction. So what's your jurisdiction? Where has the Father called you and given you power and authority over? One quick easy answer would be the city of Waltham, and that plays right into our look series, that we believe that God has placed us here in the city of Waltham, not to just be a nice little cute church, but to change the atmosphere of our city, to see people who have no hope, who have tried every single course of action there is from doctors to counselors to social help, and all of those things are wonderful, wonderful things, but they're not Jesus. And for us to not sit here and wait for them to come to us, but for us to say, no, we reject passivity, and we are called to bring the, the beauty of the gospel of the kingdom to them. Your family is your jurisdiction. Your job is your jurisdiction. The people you sit next to on a bus or a train is your jurisdiction. The people you come in contact with, I want to really make this clear, people are not an inconvenience in the kingdom. They can't be. People were not an inconvenience to Jesus. We are so busy and so focused on what we're doing and what we're going that the idea of actually stopping and talking to somebody, the idea of actually stopping and asking somebody how they're doing, that's an inconvenience to us. But it wasn't to Jesus. And he said, I'm giving you authority. I'm giving you jurisdiction and dominion. 
I love the story of the centurion. And the centurion has a servant who is sick and dying. And this servant was of high value to him. And he goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, my servant is dying. I would like it if you would heal him. But don't even bother coming to my house. Because I am a man under authority. I have people who are underneath me and I say, go do this and they go do that. So I know, Jesus, as you have authority, you simply speak the word and my servant will be healed. And what does Jesus say? Greater faith in all of Israel I have not found. Just speak the word, Jesus. Now, this centurion was not a disciple. He was not one that was walking in side by side and watching Jesus and having all this intimate time with Jesus. But he clearly had to have observed something about Jesus. He clearly had to have watched Jesus enough times to where he built up a resume of Jesus' goodness. He had to have spent enough time observing, even if it was from a distance, to say, I recognize something in that guy. And I may not even know who he is completely. I may not even completely believe, but he has authority. And as a man under authority, I know all he has to do is say the word, and my servant will be healed. What's your resume look like with the Father? Have you built up a resume of his goodness in your life? Have you built up enough experiences where you've seen him provide and come through and open doors and do miracles to where you have faith like the centurion, to where you can pray and lay hands on someone and say, he has said it's possible, so it's possible. Be healed. I believe that we are called to be like the centurion. I want to show you real quick a comparison chart, if you'll put that up, Aaron. Three separate verses that show this similar call. And the reason I want to put this up real quick is because we get wrapped up in this whole thing of like, oh, well, you know, we're just the servants and God actually does it. And we're just supposed to be humble, obedient servants. And if God tells me to do something, well, maybe I'll do it. Look what it says. Luke in Matthew 10. He called his disciples together, gave them power and authority over all devils to cure diseases. And they went and sent them to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. And when he called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And he says to them, as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, you heal the sick, you cleanse the lepers, you raise the dead, and you cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. There's no room for passivity in that. There's no room to step back and say, you know what, that's not for me. Jesus tells us, you go and do it. You are now my hands. You are now my feet. You are now my eyes. Go and see Waltham as I see it. 
The interesting thing about authority is that authority does not beg. Authority doesn't ask. Authority commands. We are not told to ask God to cast out demons. We're told, cast out demons. We are not told to beg for sickness to come out. We're commanded to cure all diseases. Again, Jesus says, tag, you're it. So that can be, depending on where you are in your walk with God and depending on your experience, that can be really heavy or really liberating. You could be saying right now, like, oh, my goodness, I don't know what this guy's talking about, but I have no clue how to do that. Or you could be saying, hey, let me out of here. I'm ready to go lay hands and pray for people. So let's talk a little bit about how that looks and how we can practically embrace this. The first thing we have to do is come to the understanding and the reality that Jesus is perfect theology. That what we see in the life of Jesus is the perfect representation of our Father in heaven. Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Colossians 1.15 says that the Son is the visible image of an invisible God. Jesus said, I only do what the Father commands me to do. I only say what the Father commands me to say. Jesus was the perfect representation of the Father. And yet my strong belief and conviction is that while Jesus was fully God, that he chose to set aside all divinity and to come to earth as a man, he fully emptied himself of all divinity and lived on earth as a man in right standing with the Father. He modeled what it could look like. Now look, if Jesus healed the sick as God, I would still be impressed. I would say, hey, that's still awesome. That person got radically healed. That person got radically set free. I would be impressed. I might even do a little golf clap and say, yay, Jesus, that was great. But if what Jesus did, he did as fully man, yielded to the Father, now I am not just impressed, I am compelled to follow. I can't set it aside and say, oh, well, that's just Jesus. He was perfect. He was God. No, he was fully yielded to the Father as a man. He didn't do miracles or cast out demons as God. He did it as a man in right relation to the Father. So why is this so hard for us? Why is it so hard for us to read all the letters in red in our Bible and yet not do it and not get there? I believe one of the reasons that it's difficult for us to read a scripture like Luke 9, 1 and think about casting out demons and laying hands on the sick is because we have allowed our experience to determine our faith. We have allowed what has either happened or not happened to determine our faith. And what I mean by that is that I believe that there's some of us in this room that have at different times been bold enough to say, you know what, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to pray for that person. I'm going to lay my hands on them and pray for them to be healed in the name of Jesus. And it didn't happen. 
And so then what we do is we start developing answers and rationale for why it didn't happen. Because that person who we prayed for, they're still hurting. They're still sick. And we have to come up with an answer for why they didn't get healed. We've made excuses to make somebody feel better about why they didn't experience their miracle instead of being their breakthrough. And Jesus is saying to us this morning, tag your it, you are someone's breakthrough. We pray for people and they don't get healed. I've prayed for hundreds of people and not seen them healed. But I've prayed for some that I have seen miraculously healed. And the question I have for you this morning is if Jesus were in the room and he prayed for them, would they have been healed? Got an answer from the front row. That's my kid. Yes. Yes, it's not a trick question. The answer is yes. There was not a single person who came to Jesus who needed healing that went away and didn't get their healing. Not a single one. And Jesus never went up to somebody and said, hey, you know what? I'd love to set you free, but you don't have enough faith. Come back later when you have enough faith. He never said that. Someone's faith does not have to do with whether Jesus is going to show up and perform a miracle. There's the man who's at the pool of Bethesda, and he's crippled. He's laying on his mat. And Jesus comes up to him and says, hey, do you want to be made well? And the guy says, well, you know, when the waters stir, you have to be the first one in the water, and then you're healed, and I don't have anybody to put me in the water, so someone always gets in the water before I do. And Jesus says to him again, hey, do you want to be made well? And he says, yes, but I don't have anybody to put me in. And Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk. So the guy's like, he stands up. He's been lame and crippled. He stands up and he grabs his mat and he starts walking. And the Pharisees see him and they say, hey, you know, it's the Sabbath. It's unholy for you to carry your mat at the Sabbath. What are you doing? And he says, I, I don't know, but this guy told me to get up and walk and carry my mat. And, and so I just got up and walked and carried my mat. And they said, who was this who healed you? He said, I don't know. And he turned and Jesus was gone. How much faith did that guy have? He didn't even know who Jesus was. How much faith did he have? Don't ever put that on somebody that will pray for them if they have enough faith or they didn't get healed because they didn't have enough faith. We are called to lay hands on the sick and pray for them to be healed. And whether they get healed or not, we're called to do it. Jesus shows up on the scene and changes everything. You are called to be someone's breakthrough. It says in the word of God that it is by his stripes that we are healed. It says it in Isaiah 53 and then again in 1 Peter. By his stripes we are healed. Tag, you're it. Now listen, I just want to real quickly touch on this whole thing about demons and the demonic because that's a place I feel like we can really quickly either get into a place of fear, we can very quickly... Um, get into some like spooky, mystic stuff, or just be like, hey, I, I'll lay hands on someone to get healed of a headache, but I am not dealing with demons. 
Let me just establish this for you. God the Father and the devil, they are not equals battling it out for the souls of men. Okay? They are not equals. It's not one day the light does okay and the next day the darkness does okay. No. God the Father is victorious. He reigns supreme and he has defeated the enemy. It says in Ephesians 6, that we don't struggle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and powers of the dark world. But we've been given authority over that. You'll never use the authority and power you have if you're not aware of what you possess. We have to become aware that we carry this and not walk in fear. First John says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Who's in you? Who do you carry into every single situation? He who is greater than he that is in the world. We don't have to fear. It's not about how big and bad the devil is. It's about Jesus and one believer being a majority. The same Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus, that raised him from the dead, lives in you. I mean, that just kind of blows my circuits if I really stop and think about that. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of me. And Jesus said, hey, it's better that I go to heaven because you need the one who I'm sending and you're going to do even greater things than I did. I'm like, come on, Jesus, I'm ready for that. Let's, let's get going on that. Jesus, when we look at the life of Jesus, he was a deliverer. And it didn't matter if it was demons or sickness or torment or depression or being accused, whatever it was, Jesus was a deliverer. Tag, you're it. Go and represent me to a dying and hurting world. Yes, there is darkness, and it is real. But Jesus is way more dominant. And that's what we need to carry with us this morning. I don't go out looking for demons, okay? That's not what I don't think that we're called to do, to go out on the street and try to turn over every single rock. But when I encounter somebody who is held down by bondage, who's tormented by demons, who's tormented by depression, who's got suicidal thoughts, I believe what Jesus is saying is you are their breakthrough. You are their breakthrough. And if I am praying for that person and if I'm revealing their created value and I'm telling them how awesome they are and how special they are and how much Jesus loves them and what a price he paid to get just them, that demon can't even hang around. It's not about conjuring up some power that is on display that's greater than the, the demons. And, you know, it is about bringing Jesus into every single situation we're in. Every situation. Jesus didn't lose when he confronted those with demons. The result was they left clothed in their right mind. Your breakthrough this morning. You're someone's breakthrough. 
I'm going to have the band come on up. The one thing I really want to emphasize this morning, that as you leave here, hopefully you're stirred up, hopefully you're excited, hopefully you're thinking, man, I want to go out and do that. There's a trap waiting for you right outside the doors of the church. And that trap is called performance. See, you can leave here and be like, oh, I'm called to go and do all this stuff. David told me I'm called to go do it. And I read the red letters and I got to go do it. You're not called to go do. You're called to go and be. You're called to go and be a son and daughter of the king. Carrying power and authority everywhere you go. You see, if you find your value, if you find your self-worth in performing a miracle and laying hands on the sick and seeing them healed or casting out a demon or having a prophetic word for somebody, if you allow that to define your value, to define your identity, then the moment you do that and it doesn't happen, now you're crushed and you're feeling condemned. And you're all of a sudden like, oh my goodness, what happened? God doesn't love me. I must have messed up. I must have this or that. And then now all of a sudden you're just sitting back and you're trapped in that passivity game again. We are called to be. To be sons and daughters of the king that bring the reality of Jesus into every single situation and watch him and his love transform. You're no longer orphans. You've been bought with a price. And now you can be in right standing with God the Father. So what do we need to do this morning? I believe that we need to get free. And we need to go love. We need to get set free from some of our fears. We need to get set free from allowing this thought that the darkness is greater than the light, I believe strongly this morning that there's some of us that need to repent of that, that need to say, hey, you know what? I've given the devil way too much power. That we need to repent of that and say, no, I'm putting my faith, my confidence and trust in the king, the victorious one. And to not allow those thoughts of the enemy and to not dabble in, well, I didn't see it happen with God, so maybe I'll go over here. Maybe I'll go find my answer in darkness. We need to repent of that. We need to get free. And we need to start loving people. So we're going to have a response here in a second. But what I want to emphasize before that is what it means to start loving people. I'm going to make it real, real simple and easy for you. Another trick question. How many people here go to restaurants? How many people here go to the grocery store? I can keep going, you know, I can keep going with all this. How many? We all come in contact with people. Here's what I want to challenge you with this holiday weekend. I want you to find one person and I want you to tell them you're awesome. You are amazing. Jesus loves you so much. Is there any way I can pray for you? 
that simple. It can be a waiter or a waitress. It can be the person checking you out in the grocery line. It can be the person that you're sitting next to as you're watching the fireworks. Jesus' inheritance is all of them. And he's assigned us the mission of going and being someone's breakthrough. Now listen, people are probably going to tell you at first, oh, I'm all set. Okay. Say, is there anybody in your family? Is there anybody you know that needs healing? I'm all set. Okay. If you don't get anything from them, still say, okay, I'm going to pray that you will experience and encounter the love of Jesus like you've never encountered before. But there's going to be the waiter or waitress that when you say that to them, as I was at Margarita's waiting for my burrito to come, as I said, hey, is there anything I could pray for? She just started sobbing and weeping. Her best friend had just died in a car accident. And she said to herself, there is no God who would take a 20-year-old from this world. So I asked her if she would mind sitting down in the booth and if I could pray for her. And she left there knowing that there is a God who loves her very, very much and that he did not take her best friend. So for every person that says, I'm all set, there's somebody out there who got up in the morning and said, Jesus, I'm done. If you're real, reveal yourself to me or I'm done. And they're waiting for you. And it could be as simple as saying, hey, do you know how awesome and special you are and that Jesus loves you? Let's not complicate it. And if they start sharing with you that they got all these dark thoughts and they've had suicidal thoughts or they've been involved in witchcraft or the weeds, you just say, hey, let's just deal with that right now. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I know that the light is greater than the darkness. Set them free right now. It's that simple. But it will not happen if we don't engage people and simply say, hey, how can I pray for you? You're awesome. You're special. Um, thank you so much for being here. Don't leave here without getting changed in some way.